of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 6 One day was very like another at the vicarage. Soon after breakfast, Marianne brought in the Times. Mr. Carey shared it with two neighbors. He had it from ten till one, when the gardener took it over to Mr. Ellis at the lines, with whom it remained till seven. Then it was taken to Miss Brooks at the manor house, who, since she got it late, had the advantage of keeping it. In summer, Mrs. Carey, when she was making jam, often asked her for a copy to cover the pots with. When the vicar settled down to his paper, his wife put on her bonnet and went out to do the shopping. Philip accompanied her. Blackstable was a fishing village. It consisted of a high street in which were the shops, the bank, the doctor's house, and the houses of two or three coal ship owners. Round the little harbor were shabby streets in which lived fishermen and poor people. But since they went to chapel, they were of no account. When Mrs. Carey passed the dissenting ministers in the street, she stepped over to the other side to avoid meeting them, but if there was not time for this, fixed her eyes on the pavement. It was a scandal to which the vicar had never resigned himself that there were three chapels in the high street. He could not help feeling that the law should have stepped in to prevent their erection. Shopping in Blackstable was not a simple matter, for dissent, helped by the fact that the parish church was two miles from the town, was very common, and it was necessary to deal only with churchgoers. Mrs. Carey knew perfectly that the vicarage custom might make all the difference to a tradesman's faith. There were two butchers who went to church, and they would not understand that the vicar could not deal with both of them at once, nor were they satisfied with his simple plan of going for six months to one and for six months to the other. The butcher who was not sending meat to the vicarage constantly threatened not to come to church, and the vicar was sometimes obliged to make a threat. It was very wrong of him not to come to church, but if he carried iniquity further and actually went to chapel, then, of course, excellent as his meat was, Mr. Carey would be forced to leave him forever. Mrs. Carey often stopped at the bank to deliver a message to Josiah Graves, the manager, who was choir master, treasurer, and church warden. He was a tall, thin man with a sallow face and a long nose. His hair was very white, and to Philip he seemed extremely old. He kept the parish accounts, arranged the treats for the choir and the schools. Though there was no organ in the parish church, it was generally considered in Blackstable that the choir he led was the best in Kent. And when there was any ceremony, such as a vi visit from the bishop for confirmation or from the rural dean to preach at the harvest thanksgiving, he made the necessary preparations. But he had no hesitation in doing all manner of things without more than a perfunctory consultation with the vicar. And the vicar, though always ready to be saved trouble, much resented the church warden's managing ways. He really seemed to look upon himself as the most important person in the parish. Mr. Carey constantly told his wife that if Josiah Graves did not take care, he would give him a good rap over the knuckles one day. But Mrs. Carey advised him to bear with Josiah Graves. He meant well, and it was not his fault that he was not quite a gentleman. The vicar, finding his comfort in the practice of Christian virtue, exercised forbearance, but he revenged himself by calling the church warden Bismarck behind his back. Once there had been a serious quarrel between the pair, 
and Mrs. Carey still thought of that anxious time with dismay. The conservative candidate had announced his intention of addressing a meeting at Blackstable, and Josiah Graves, having arranged that it should take place in the Mission Hall, went to Mr. Carey and told him that he hoped he would say a few words. It appeared that the candidate had asked Josiah Graves to take the chair. This was more than Mr. Carey could put up with. He had firm views upon the respect which was due the cloth, and it was ridiculous for a church warden to take the chair at a meeting when the vicar was there. He reminded Josiah Graves that parson meant person, that is, the vicar was the person of the parish. Josiah Graves answered that he was the first to recognize the dignity of the church, but this was a matter of politics, and in his turn, he reminded the vicar that their blessed Savior had enjoined upon them to render unto Caesar the things that were Caesar's. To this, Mr. Carey replied that the devil could quote scripture to his purpose. Himself had sole authority over the mission hall, and if he were not asked to be the chairman, he would refuse the use of it for a political meeting. Josiah Graves told Mr. Carey that he might do as he chose, and for his part, he thought the Wesleyan Chapel would be an equally suitable place. Then Mr. Carey said that if Josiah Graves set foot in what was little better than a heathen temple, he was not fit to be the church warden in a Christian parish. Josiah Graves thereupon resigned all his offices, and that very evening sent to the church for his cassock and surplice. His sister, Miss Graves, who kept house for him, gave up her secretaryship of the maternity club, which provided the pregnant poor with flannel, baby linen, coals, and five shillings. Mr. Carey said he was at last master in his own house. But soon he found that he was obliged to see to all sorts of things that he knew nothing about. And Josiah Graves, after the first moment of irritation, discovered that he had lost his chief interest in life. Mrs. Carey and Miss Graves were much distressed by the quarrel. They met after discreet exchange of letters and made up their minds to put the matter right. They talked, one to her husband, the other to her brother, from morning till night. And since they were persuading these gentlemen to do what in their hearts they wanted, after three weeks of anxiety, a reconciliation was effected. It was to both their interests, but they ascribed it to a common love for their Redeemer. The meeting was held at the Mission Hall, and the doctor was asked to be the chairman. Mr. Carey and Josiah Graves both made speeches. When Mrs. Carey had finished her business with the banker, she generally went upstairs to have a little chat with his sister. And while the ladies talked of parish matters, the curate or the new bonnet of Mrs. Wilson, Mr. Wilson was the richest man in Blackstable. He was thought to have at least 500 a year and he had married his cook. Philip sat demurely in the state parlor, used only to receive visitors, and busied himself with the restless movements of goldfish in a bowl. The windows were never opened except to air the room for a few minutes in the morning, and it had a stuffy smell which seemed to Philip to have a mysterious connection with banking. Then Mrs. Carey remembered that she had to go to the grocer, and they continued their way. When the shopping was done, they often went down a side street of little houses, mostly of wood, in which fishermen dwelt, and here and there a fisherman sat on his doorstep mending his nets, and nets hung to dry upon the doors, till they came to a small beach shut in on each side by warehouses, but with the view of the sea.
Mrs. Carey stood for a few minutes and looked at it. It was turbid and yellow, and who knows what thoughts passed through her mind, while Philip searched for flat stones to play ducks and drakes. Then they walked slowly back. They looked into the post office to get the right time, nodded to Mrs. Winkler, the doctor's wife, who sat at her window sewing, and so got home. Dinner was at, and on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it consisted of beef, roast, hash, and minced, and on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, of mutton. On Sunday, they ate one of their own chickens. In the afternoon, Philip did his lessons. He was taught Latin and mathematics by his uncle, who knew neither, and French and the piano by his aunt. Of French, she was ignorant but she knew the piano well enough to accompany the old-fashioned songs she had sung for 30 years. Uncle William used to tell Philip that when he was a curate, his wife had known 12 songs by heart, which she could sing at a moment's notice whenever she was asked. She often sang still when there was a tea party at the vicarage. There were few people whom the Careys cared to ask there, and their parties consisted always of the curate, Josiah Graves with his sister, Dr. Wingram, and his wife. After tea, Miss Graves played one or two of Mendelssohn's songs without words, and Mrs. Carey sang when the swallows homeward fly or trot trot my pony. But the Careys did not give tea parties often. The preparations upset them, and when their guests were gone, they felt themselves exhausted. They preferred to have tea by themselves, and after tea, they played backgammon. Mrs. Carey arranged that her husband should win because he did not like losing. They had cold supper at eight. It was a scrappy meal because Marianne resented getting anything ready after tea, and Mrs. Carey helped to clear away. Mrs. Carey seldom ate more than bread and butter with a little stewed fruit to follow, but the vicar had a slice of cold meat. Immediately after supper, Mrs. Carey rang the bell for prayers, and then Philip went to bed. He rebelled against being undressed by Marianne, and after a while succeeded in establishing his right to dress and undress himself. At nine o'clock, Marianne brought in the eggs and the plate. Mrs. Carey wrote the date on each egg and put the number down in a book. She then took the plate basket on her arm and went upstairs. Mr. Carey continued to read one of his old books, but as the clock struck ten, he got up, put out the lamps, and followed his wife to bed. When Philip arrived, there was some difficulty in deciding on which evening he should have his bath. It was never easy to get plenty of hot water, since the kitchen boiler did not work, and it was impossible for two persons to have a bath on the same day. The only man who had a bathroom in Blackstable was Mr. Wilson, and it was thought ostentatious of him. Marianne had her bath in the kitchen on Monday night, because she liked to begin the week clean. Uncle William could not save his on Saturday because he had a heavy day before him and he was always a little tired after a bath, so he had it on Friday. Mrs. Carey had hers on Thursdays for the same reason. It looked as though Saturday were naturally indicated for Philip, but Marianne said she couldn't keep the fire up on Saturday night with all the cooking and Sunday having to make pastry and she didn't know what all. She did not feel up to giving the boy his bath on Saturday night, and it was quite clear that he could not bathe himself. Mrs. Carey was shy about bathing a boy, and of course the vicar had his sermon. But the vicar insisted that Philip should be clean and sweet for the Lord's day. 
Marianne said she would rather go than be put upon, and after 18 years she didn't expect to have more work given her, and they might show some consideration. And Philip said he didn't want anyone to bathe him, but could very well bathe himself. This settled in. Marianne said she was quite sure he wouldn't bathe himself properly, and rather that he should go dirty, and not because he was going into the presence of the Lord, but because she couldn't abide a boy who wasn't properly washed, she'd work herself to the bone, even if it was Saturday night. End of chapter 6